to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. You can also find us on all social media at Believe in OWL, that's B-L-E-A-V in O-W-L, and Believe.com. This week, we talk about the free agent market after the Grand Finals, Sinatra and Super's interview on Jimmy Fallon, and the new Overwatch cookbook. Well, hello, hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of the podcast. Hope you've been having a wonderful October. Um, any news on your end, Kevin? Uh, just planning for that Halloween spooktacular that I got going on. Um, it's called the Trick or Treat Throwdown. I'll, it'll be on the Academy of Arts uh, Twitch page on the 27th. So look forward to that. And uh, I'll probably be plugging that a little bit more once we get closer to the date, but yeah, it's going to be total mayhem, but not the game mode. <laughs> what would be your dream costume for Halloween? If you could do anything, like no matter what the cost would be, if you could make whatever costume you wanted, what would you do? Ooh, if, if I had the body for it, I would probably do Hanzo. Um, Ooh, okay. not gonna lie. Um, but if money didn't matter, like a totally working, like, Gundam suit would be totally cool. Oh, that would be beautiful. Back in Heroes of the Storm, Diva had a Neon Genesis Evangelion cross color. And I was like, oh man, that would be really sick to pull off. But, you know, I, I don't, first of all, I'm not a 19 year old Korean girl. Um, so <laughs> sadly, that doesn't work out in my favor. Um, but the mech looked really cool. So we'll see if that, uh, that ever comes over. I've been meaning to start that show. It's on Netflix, but there's just a lot of it, and it seems really intimidating to get into it right now. I would not recommend going through Netflix for it, though, because they missed out on probably one of the most important parts of it, which is the ending. Oh, uh, the, okay. ending, the ending theme is Fly Me to the Moon by you know Frank Sinatra. Oh, my God, really? It's sung by every single character, every single voice actor um, at different moments. So... The reason why Netflix couldn't get the ending is because they had to buy the rights to do Fly Me to the Moon, and they couldn't afford that right. Oh. So it's unfortunate, but... Dang. You know, yeah. So if you find if you find another version of it, like the old version that has the ending, go through that. They kept the opening, though. The opening is by far one of the most iconic openings. All right, well, it's, it's going to be Kiss Anime then. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Internet. How about you? Any dream Halloween costumes that you wanted to pull off? If I could, I'd get a really nice red hood helmet and a really good bodysuit and body armor with everything and just be a really cool red hood costume for mm -hmm. Halloween. Because a couple of years ago, I took an Iron Man helmet, spray painted it all red and drew the, the lines and everything. And it, it worked, but it was really hard to see out of because the eyes had the little white thing that superhero eyes have. Except it was mesh, so it was really hard to see out of it. Mm -hmm. But I'd really like to get just a nice, high-quality like metal or polymer or whatever they're made out of helmet with uh, lenses in the eyes and just a really high-quality red hood suit. All right, shall we move into the actual news of the week? Yeah, should we start from the top of the list and just head on down? Or Yeah, let's, let's start at the top and get to the end. On Monday, Jimmy Fallon hosted his regular Tonight Show, but this time he brought on both Sinatra and Super from the SF Shock and had a, a nice sit-down interview discussing the Overwatch League and the kind of work ethic that you know these couple of 19-year-old superstars are putting in. Oh my god, they're 19. I forgot how young they are. Yeah, it, I like the way how Super really came in and broke it down kind of in a way. Most people just think that we're shut-ins playing video games for hours on end, just yelling at our PCs because we're intense and <laughs> frustrated. But no, it's more, it is kind of like a sport if you take it to that level. You're, you're grinding, you're 
honing in on your skills as a team. And then you also have additional training where you kind of go on your own and like figure out how to keep your mechanics sharp and all that stuff. It was definitely a softball interview. You could tell that everyone was coached. It seemed a little bit robotic and just very informational vomit. But the good thing that the people at Fallon did was they set it up so that it wasn't kind of a joke. They weren't making fun of Sinatra and Super for being kids who play video games for a living. Like as basic and surface level as Fallon's interview was, he was taking it very seriously. He was getting actual information out of them. You could tell his tone wasn't mocking. I would have liked more discussion about what it meant for them to have won the Overwatch League Grand Finals this year. Um, and like we were talking uh, yesterday, but especially with Super being there, it would have been cool to ask him what it felt like to win that in his hometown and what they think that the future of Overwatch League brings with all the changes coming in next year. Um, it was only a four-minute interview, four and a half minutes, I think. So it was very short. And that might have been a little bit too intense to go into for the people who don't know about Overwatch League. But I still think that they could have done more to, I guess, humanize the players of Overwatch League and give a good glimpse into what life is outside of the basics of what does esports constitute. I do agree with that. It was a kind of a softball pitch. It was really... It's easy for the, I, I would don't want to classify them, but like it's easier for the layman to understand how, you know, esports works and what kind of work ethic these kids have going into this. But it would have been nice to go a little bit deeper into some of the conversations, especially with Super being the one who was brought on stage. Winning a sports event in your hometown is kind of a big deal for any athlete. So that would have been a really interesting thing. Another thing that I would have liked to hear them discuss is potentially how Overwatch is like a very inclusive community, especially since the San Francisco Shock is one of the very few teams that has a it has a very diverse team. They have like half a Korean roster, half a U.S. roster, and then uh, they had you know Nevix, who unfortunately got released, but you know they could have had massive communication problems and how how to get through those kinds of issues um, through the love of the game. Right. And when you think about it, Overwatch League is, I think, the only sport right now that's based in America, but it has a majority in Asian players. Players from China, players from Korea are really the dominant force in Overwatch League. You have some Europeans, you have some Americans. I believe we have one or two Latin American players, mm -hmm. but still this, I think that's what makes Overwatch League noteworthy in the realm of American sports is that it's a majority Asian thing, which you don't really ever see. I think that would have been a great topic to dive into. And as, as players who can speak English and who are from America, like what is that dynamic like for them? Yeah, I feel like if they had more time or if they wanted to dive deeper into the whole Overwatch League background and uh, the pressure that comes with it, it would have been a very nice like 10-minute interview to kind of get in deep. But it, it really did a solid job for it only being a five-minute interview. Yeah, I think they did a very good job in showing that this is actually work. Um, I like how Super talked about how he had to kind of convince his parents that this was a legitimate thing. And I like how both of them said that you have to have your priorities straight first. Like you have to be able to do well in school. You have to be well-balanced. You can't just try to do this and not have a fallback, not have a good basis in anything. Because like Super said, you've got millions of people who want to be in this position and not everyone's going to get it. Some people will get lucky, but if you just devote yourself to this entirely, then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot because what if you don't get it? Then you have nothing to fall back on. So that wasn't the only thing that we saw this week in the mainstream media in relation to Overwatch League. The Adult Swim show, Robot Chicken, they did a sketch on Overwatch League where two teams were playing and the nerd character in uh, Robot Chicken plays and wins. It's a very funny depiction of it. I like that uh, they actually kind of took it seriously. They didn't make all the characters look kind of dumb. In fact, it was the opposite. They made the characters who were playing on both teams, except for the nerd, 
kind of the normal athletic type of people that you'd see on other sports. What do you think of the sketch? I do agree that nerds are getting hotter. And, um, <laughs> you know, if you're just staying in place, you're not going to be, be able to grow or, you know, at all. <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, over, the robot chicken sketch I thought was absolutely hilarious, in my opinion. It's like we're a bunch of nerds and we're taking over your ESPN channel. You could be watching football right now, but, you know, we're going to have our grand finals here instead. It's a fun parody, but it's also like, realistic enough where you realize that we are actually taking over espn there are a bunch of competitors that aren't your typical like jocks all the time who are just you know playing video games now it's the same same competitive atmosphere just a different medium right and nerd culture is definitely coming into the mainstream as something that's cool like i remember years ago maybe 10 years ago where being a nerd was an insult where now it's a badge of honor to be called a nerd like you can find nerdy people everywhere and it's not something that you really get picked on anymore like it's it's cool to like comic books it's cool to be into anime it's cool to be into video games the the robot chicken sketch really encapsulated that shift where you see the players on both sides and they're not stereotypical nerds they're people who you see on the street who could be playing basketball or football or whatever, but they, I guess, got more money playing Overwatch and they decided to do that because it was a smarter business decision. Like you really think that baby Bay couldn't play a sport if you wanted to like that man is handsome. <laughs> oh he yeah. Like, to be like very good at Overwatch. <laughs> yeah, definitely. There's a lot of Overwatch players who could do other stuff they wanted to like, I'd be, I'm pretty good at wrestling but I'd be terrified to take on Big Goose. Oh, dude, Big Goose would probably, like, body slam everybody. Big Goose could lift so many people up and just kind of one arm, drop them to the ground, and then they're done. What do you think about Overwatch's League in the kind of cultural landscape right now that you have someone like Jimmy Fallon interviewing two Overwatch League's players and Robot Chicken lampooning Overwatch League the Overwatch League Grand Finals being broadcasted on ABC, ESPN, and Disney XD, and the growth that it's kind of seen in public awareness. I feel like Overwatch League is just kind of the beginning of major esports. Um, it's the first time, obviously, we've had city-based esports teams, um, kind of mimicking the same way how like the NFL and you know the NBA, MLB all operate as of right now. I feel like this could only grow better like other games will start learning from the overwatch league they'll be like okay what part of this worked what part of this didn't work like how do we keep our player base like and all that stuff they can use the overwatch league as kind of like a pinpoint of being like this is where all the esports unified at least for the u.s i know that like you know overseas in both china and in korea they've been doing this for quite a bit um and it's just a matter of figuring out how how much further can we take esports and what especially with as we were saying like nerd culture is starting to become mainstream it's not about you know where people are realizing that smart is sexy so utilizing that whole nerd culture and our generation is now growing up to be the ones who are going to be watching tv and watching all the media the media has to adapt to us um and if we like to watch more esports. They're probably going to try to broadcast more esports. And, you know, it's just playing to our likes. Definitely. I think that definitely segues into one of our other topics. If you want to talk about the increased viewership. Oh, yeah. We, we for sure had increased viewership from season two finals rather than the, the first season. And I do think it's because of not, not only the fact that we're being broadcasted on multiple, you know, streaming sites as well as having ABC Disney XD and ESPN, but it's more awareness where it's being taken more seriously for the first year. It was kind of a pilot year because, you know, it was season one. Not a lot of people understood like, Hey, this is starting to go on here. But now that we're starting to make a big deal, making a big splash about it. Yeah. We're going to definitely have more people watching it. There's going to be more people who are going to be watching, you know, the games more often now. And I feel like, if anything, this just makes the Overwatch community bigger. And it's pretty interesting to see how it stacks up against other ML or other uh, 
sporting events. Yeah, so to kind of go over some statistics and numbers about the growth of Overwatch League viewership over this year to last year, um, I was looking at a report from Dexerto that looked at the average minute audience, which means that the number of people who watched Overwatch League for at least one minute. And if you look at the grand finals around the globe, um, average minute audience was 1.12 million, which increased 16% from last year. The average viewership of 18 to 34-year-olds, which is, I guess, the main target of the Overwatch League viewership, was 182,000, which was a 13% increase over last year. And in the U.S. alone, totaling not just the 18 to 34 audience, uh, it was 472,000 people watching it, which is a 41% increase over last year. Like 41%. That's huge. And to get even into more numbers, if you look at the regular season average viewership of 18 to 34-year-olds of all the sports in general, Overwatch League is the only one that increased. We had about for the average minute audience, there's about 55,000 people who were watching the Overwatch League regular season. To compare, that's way more than the Major League Soccer viewers, which were 47,000, which is a 34% decrease this year. Bigger than Major League Baseball at 51,000, which is a 12% decrease. I mean, the rest of the other sports are bigger, but they all suffered negative viewership this year. NCAA basketball dropped 5%. NHL dropped 3%, golf 28%, the NBA dropped 16%, NCAA football dropped 5%, and the NFL dropped 2%. But still, I mean, that's amazing to me that the only thing on this analysis that gained was Overwatch League, and it gained by double digits. It just shows that, you know, they have to cater to our generation. The 18 to 34-year-old range is most, most of the people who are going to be watching television anyways and broadcast television in general so with us slowly transitioning into more esports you bet you could probably see more competitive sports showing up on espn and other networks they they tried once with csgo and it didn't quite land as well but i could definitely see it going for um if csgo wants to try another run they can i think call of duty might be next up on the chopping block dota 2 just kind of has its own world as is so we'll, we'll see where television companies and sporting uh teams decide to go if they do decide to go with more of an overwatch league kind of stand or if they do just stick to twitch and broadcasting online is there anything that you think that overwatch can do next season to help continue or even increase this viewership growth i feel like it really depends on the way how Overwatch plays out in the next couple months. Um, we obviously, we'll, we'll be diving into that whole uh, protest in China thing later on in, in the podcast. It depends on how well Overwatch can keep the ships sailing. If they can keep their player base happy, they could keep their sponsors happy, they could probably keep this ship riding for another few years. But it really depends on how well and how often the people who are watching the game, enjoy their game. You know, nobody wants to watch the same thing over and over again. That's why, like, you know, I grew up in the Bay Area. I was a Warriors fan. But after a certain point, you're just like, oh, yeah, they're just going to win the game. Like, you're you're watching them face off against any other team, and you're just like, oh, okay, it's the Warriors. We don't have to watch it right now because, you know, that that's the meta. It's kind of the same thing in Overwatch. At a certain point, you just get, like, goats, right? It's just like, it was goats for, like, three seasons yeah i definitely think that as long as they keep pumping out fresh content that'll keep people interested in the game as far as keeping people watching and increasing that uh viewership base i think a lot of it is going to have to do with their strategic partnerships at this point partnering with disney xd partnering with espn and partnering with abc to run the overwatch league on broadcast networks definitely helped their viewership. I also think a lot of the different merchandising partnerships that they had uh, will definitely help. Like as, as weird as I thought the Coca-Cola bottles was, that's visibility. And I think the more visible that they continue to make themselves, the more the public becomes aware and becomes accustomed to the concept of Overwatch League 
is a legitimate professional esports league, I think that eventually more people will become curious, more people will be accepting of it as sports and hopefully tune in. So our next topic is, now that the season of Overwatch is done, um, like a lot of other sports, there are a lot of changes into team rosters. Some teams are going to lose some players to free agency. Some players are going to be traded. There's a, there's a few lists online that have all the recent moves and all the changes that are happening in the league. There's a few noteworthy names, like the London Spitfire have lost uh, Birdring to free agency, so we'll see where he ends up. Flower from NYXL is a free agent. Um, Hydration from the LA Gladiators is a free agent. Surefour Gladiators is a free agent. Um, any names that you particularly thought were interesting in this list? Uh, I feel like Carpe is probably one of the bigger names from the Philadelphia Fusion. Great sniper. He's probably going to... He's either going to re-sign or get re-signed to a different team. Ryu Hong and Toby, both like some of the godfathers of Overwatch in general, are both free agents. So I would be surprised if Soul Dynasty re-signs them. Uh, they might take that whole... Uh, the old Element Mystic team and hopefully they don't all retire. They, I do want to see them like go far, um, but they are all free agents at the moment. Uh, another one that this is just me, um, Sleepy from the Washington Justice. He's one of the most insane Zenyatta players I've ever seen. Jonak and Violet currently take the spotlight, but Sleepy does a lot of work too. With all these free agents, do you think that there are going to be other teams that are going to start popping up, more expansion teams that are going to try to swoop in and take maybe a couple of these players back? I think so. I, I definitely think that player trades, players moving is healthy for any sports league to have because it it's like with meta shifting. If you have the same people on the same teams forever, then it's kind of boring. Like what you said with the Golden State Warriors, it's like, okay, these people are against these people. The first team's going to win because they have better players. Um, and I think that moving people around also gives more opportunities for different dynamics to form, different players to shine. I know some players have become iconic for their teams. Like Gator is subject to team option for the rain, and he really came into the forefront with his Sigma, but maybe placing him on another team would allow him to go even bigger or for a lot of the players who are subject to option, like, like Gator, like who else is on here? Happy Eileen, Nero, baby Bay, Erster, Dante, big goose. I think a lot of those really key players, the ones who have made a name on their teams, I think they're going to stay. I think the teams are definitely going to want to keep those key players. Um, I think the free agents, you're going to see a lot more movement. Hopefully this allows some of the lower tier teams, the ones who didn't do so well season two, to rebuild themselves, make themselves a more dominant presence. Is there any team or any city that you wish could have an Overwatch League team that you would like to see? Ooh, that's tough. I live in LA, so we have two teams. <laughs> Just for, for funsies, I think it'd be fun to see a Filipino team, maybe something from Manila just for just for giggles because of heritage or whatever reasons about that. Um, don't know if they'd be any good, but it'd be fun to see them. Maybe they could be like the next Shanghai Dragons lose every match. Um, what are what other cities would be fun? I have like two in mind that I would I would like to see. Um, one is Honolulu. I Ooh. think if Hawaii got a team. You could you have literally the middle ground between Asia and the US. Right. It would be a very interesting place to host, you know, Overwatch League games. Your home games could be on, you know, literally any island. Um, plus it's got great scenery. So Oh, absolutely. That's that's one. Uh the other one that I want to see, just because they recently lifted their ban on online gambling, so officially they can do it. Uh Tokyo. I want to see Tokyo get get a team in. Um, no, yeah, there's no Japanese team. There's no Japanese team. The contender scene already has a Japanese team, uh, Jupiter. They're doing pretty okay. They didn't make it to the gauntlet, but if they want to play on the pun, you know, be the Tokyo Drifters. Have your logo be like a car. Maybe in a future Fast and Furious film, you see 
some of the Japanese players if that's their team name and making cameos. Dude, I would love to see that. Just like or reboot Initial D and have like a couple of players like named after characters in that. We could use a Latin American team, I think. I don't know how big Overwatch is in Africa, but it'd be cool to see a team at least from every continent. All right. Shall we move on? Yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, we keep going back to this topic, but it, it's a fun topic. I like talking about it. So no matter how many times we've said that Tracer probably wouldn't make the best hero for Smash Bros for an Overwatch crossover because she doesn't really have that big of a kit. Daddy Jeff Kaplan came out and said that if one character could make it into Smash Bros from Overwatch, he would want Tracer. Now, he did also say that he'd be open to anybody from the Overwatch roster making it to Super Smash Bros. But since Tracer is kind of the poster child for the game, he would want her in there. Yeah, Tracer is kind of the Pikachu of Overwatch. You have to have your poster child be the one who makes it into the game. But I do agree that she doesn't technically have enough kit. What do you, you have your pulse pistols, you have your melee, you have recall and pulse bomb. Like that's the extent of your abilities. As we were talking about earlier, I think Diva has a better kit. Um, I could also see Doomfist being a part of the team. I think Ash would be hilarious too. Ash would be probably a really good pick as well. I know a lot of people have been mentioning Doomfist as a good hero for Smash. I think it'd be fun, but also we already have Captain Falcon and Ganondorf in there. I think it'd just be very similar to gameplay for those two. So, well, I think Doomfist would be better than Tracer. I think maybe Doomfist would be a little bit derivative. I still think Diva's probably the best choice. I think Genji could also be really cool. Uh, maybe Soldier 76, as I stare at a Soldier 76 statue on my brother's desk. If you retconned uh, Hanzo and give him back his scatter arrow in-game, maybe. Oh, um, yeah. But otherwise, I don't think he has enough like random kit for that. I could see... Well, no. Zarya would make a good assist trophy. I'm just saying. Oh, definitely good assist trophy. Um, I would Symmetra think... might be. Yeah. Symmetra and May, I think have enough of a kit that you could do stuff with it so yeah it really depends on if overwatch let's say if overwatch drops like a hero that can do a lot of things differently i can i can see that playing in if they want to like let's just say like a new hero drops and it's like the best kit for smash and then just all of a sudden they're like yep they're also in smash you're like okay like it'll it'll work then you get your Overwatch representative in the game. Um, but yeah, it will be really interesting to see what they end up going with. If they end up going with anything. If. Yeah. If not, I would still be happy if they just gave them like me skins. Right. Or an assist trophy like Zarya, like you said. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now moving on to what I think is the most fun topic of the week. Uh, I believe it was October 1st. Blizzard released an official cookbook for Overwatch. I actually I, I went out and bought it because I had to. Um, there, there are two covers out there that I know of. One is just the normal cover that you'll see everywhere that has food on the cover and it's got Roadhog's breathing can thing. And I think there's a, a mug from Reinhardt. But if you go to Barnes & Noble and get it, there's a special Barnes & Noble cover that just has a bowl of Rikimaru ramen on it. And because there's a Barnes & Noble in my town, I got that one. Now, I know, Kevin, you said that you were planning on ordering it. Yeah, I haven't gotten my hands on it, but I definitely want to get it. Um, I used to do cooking streams on my own personal stream whenever I would go over to a friend's house. Ooh. Because they were just like, oh, yeah, we want we want food, and that's what you do in order to stay at our place. So I'm like, okay, you know what? That'd be fun. Um, they're also from the Overwatch team at the Academy of Arts. So if I were to go over to their place, I'd be like, okay, you know what? Just pick one of these. We're going to, we're going to do it. We're going to make it on stream. I'll have a lot of fun. I'm trying to figure out once I get the book, I'll probably figure out which ones I want to go for. Um, and then try to recreate on stream. The book divides up the different recipes by character. There's like three or four recipes per character and it's divided into continents like 
the Americas, Africa, Asia. They have one for the moon because of uh, uh, Winston and Hammond. And it has a little kind of a little description of how the recipe applies to each character. There's a little bit, there's a, a tiny bit of lore involved. Like, I don't know if they'd said this before, but I found out through reading this that Reaper is from Los Angeles. So, yay. I think one of the most interesting recipes in here, they have one for Bastion that's just bird seed, like food for birds. <laughs> um, that's, that's the funniest one. Oh, I, I think that there's a good diversity in here. You have desserts, you have main courses, you have drinks. Um, I think I think a letdown on the drink side is that a lot of these drinks are alcoholic. Um, so like if you wanted to make this for your kid who really likes Overwatch, like they can't really drink a lot of these drinks. Um, and also alcohol is expensive. So if you're planning on making some of the drinks, uh, good luck because some of them have multiple types of liquor in them. As far as ingredients goes, I, I've looked through them. And aside from one or two spices or things like that, um, you can find most of them, I guess, at a, a grocery store like Ralph's or uh, just any major supermarket. There are a few things that you'll probably have to go to an ethnic grocery store if you wanted to find them. Mostly it's going to be in, I think, the Africa region that you'll have to like get the extra spices. Like I don't think I can find sumac at Ralph's, so I'd have to try to find either a Mediterranean or a Middle Eastern grocery. But if you have access to those, great. My question was going to be, do you think that they're going to release another cookbook later later on? Do you think there's going to be like a every two-year thing where they just update it and give you different recipes for each character? Because, you know, we, we got Sigma. I don't think that there's going to be a Sigma thing in this book. No, there's not. Uh, so, yeah, do you think that later down the line when they add like eight more characters or something like that, they're going to be adding more recipes to to this book or they're going to make a brand new cookbook and just add different recipes to that or I don't think so. Uh, I think that this was kind of a one and done thing for them. I mean, I would like to see an updated one. Uh, one of my disappointments I had, I think for this book was they didn't have any sections for the different events. Like they didn't have a Halloween section or they didn't have a, a Christmas section or a, a summer one or for something like that. I think that would have been really cool, especially because you're releasing this book right around Halloween time and Christmas is not too far away. And some people might get this as a Christmas gift. I would like to see an expanded one, maybe a couple years down the line with different recipes for the characters that they already have. And then including the new characters. And like I just said, hopefully including different recipes for different seasons. I think this is, I think this is a one and done thing for them. Overall, I think the cookbook is really fun. It's really cool to see how all the different characters are represented through their countries in this book. The recipes seem relatively easy to make. Like I said, you can probably find most of, if not all of these ingredients at a supermarket. A lot of them take under an hour, maybe half an hour to make. There are a few that take a little bit longer. I think the ramen takes a little longer because you're, you're boiling a lot of different ingredients. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited to make some of these foods. And if I manage to find some time and some money to make some of these within the week, I'll let you know how they go. Okay, let's move on to our next topic. So the Halloween event did not, as we were all hoping, come out on October 8th. When, so when do you think this is actually going to come out, Kevin? It should be coming out next week because I remember that they usually do these in three-week uh, bursts. If they do release it on October 15th, which is also the same day that Overwatch comes to the Switch, it would be a good way to say like, okay, you have two weeks, which will land you on the 29th, and then you have the last week, which will get you through Halloween, and then it will end after... Um, it will end before BlizzCon, which is kind of the three-week period. Um, that they would be aiming for with this Halloween event. I can't remember where I read it, but I read an interview with someone from the Overwatch dev team that they were now they were talking about the Switch being released on the Switch version being released on the fifteenth, and then they asked them about 
when the Halloween event was also going to happen. And they said, well, I can't really tell you that, but I can tell you that a lot of fun things are going to happen on the 15th. So I, I guess that's a safe bet to say that they're going to release on the same day, which also I think, I think they're also kind of trying to make it fair for the new Switch players so that they have exactly the same time as everybody else to play this event. Also, there have been leaks that we might be seeing Junker Town as the focus of this year's Halloween event as opposed to Eichenwald. Another thing to remind everybody about for this Halloween event is that Jeff did say that we're going to get less stuff this time around because they are working on quality of life changes. Um, last podcast, we went over the PTR changes, which were coming to the public test region. Um, that might be coming in at the same time as this Halloween event. So if that is the case, we might be seeing a little bit more dive, um, you know, tracers and sombras coming back into the meta a little bit. But um, we definitely won't know until the day of, which will be October 15th, which should be either the day of or the day after we record our podcast. So, um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what they release this year. Okay, I guess time to move on to our final topic of discussion, but also I think the juiciest topic that we have. There's a tournament in Asia for Hearthstone, and one of the professional players, Blitzchung, who won this tournament, got banned because in a post-interview with him, he was wearing a face mask and goggles that were very reminiscent of what the protesters in Hong Kong are wearing right now. And he also made a comment that he was very much in support of the Hong Kong protests, after which he had his title stripped, he got the money taken away that he won, and he's been banned from anything professionally Blizzard-related for a year. Also, the casters who asked him the questions during the interview got fired. And after that, of course, all of the internet found out and a lot of Blizzard games players were not happy with that suppression of Blitzchung's free speech. A lot of people started deleting their games. They started tweeting boycott Blizzard. Um, professional caster for Hearthstone, Brian Kibler. I think it was just today that he announced that he was quitting the professional casting scene in support of the Hong Kong protests at Blizzard HQ in Irvine here in California. Some of the employees at Blizzard staged a walkout around noon. There's a plaque near the World of Warcraft statue outside of Blizzard headquarters. The plaque says, the plaque say, think globally and every voice matters. There are photos circling around the internet today that the employees had covered those slogans in protest because Blizzard essentially through this move said that you, you're not allowed to say anything that you want. Every voice doesn't actually matter. In Blizzard's defense, it was in their contract that they couldn't say anything that would put Blizzard in jeopardy. And since Blizzard and Activision are owned by Tencent, which is a Chinese company, having something like that on stream could get them in trouble. But I definitely think that the punishment was way, way too harsh for what Blitzchung did. For those of you who don't really know what the Hong Kong protests are about, I wasn't too sure either until I looked them up. They started in June because there was a proposal to allow, um, I guess, people on trial in Hong Kong to be extradited for legal matters to mainland China. The reason that this caused a lot of anger for the people of Hong Kong is because they believe that that would make it harder for them to get fair trials. They thought it would undermine the judicial independence of the city of Hong Kong and make it a lot more dangerous for people who were critical of the Chinese ownership of Hong Kong. And just from there, violence escalated, tensions escalated, and it's just been a very dangerous time to be in the area because I think people have died in these protests. There's been a lot of tear gassing and shooting and riots and etc. And obviously this has just been a, a PR nightmare for Blizzard. Yeah, I, I really do understand the pickle that this put Blizzard into. Like, first of all, you wanna you wanna be on good terms with your business partners from China, but at the same time, you're kind of shooting your player base, which is unfortunate. Because of this, you've we've seen a lot of artists using May as kind of the support of Hong Kong as well. Like, there's a lot of uh, 
fan-made skins about uh, free Hong Kong with May in general. Yeah, it's a very difficult line to talk about, especially I do agree with you that Blitz Chung's punishment that he got for this was way too much. And by doing that, you're essentially saying that like you don't support free speech at all. And that's coming from Blizzard as well. So it's going to be really interesting to see how this affects um, the player base for Overwatch. I've seen um, people who have tried to actually delete their accounts in protest not being able to delete their account because Blizzard doesn't allow for any of their two-factor authentication to work. So there's been a lot of people who are trying to leave the game but can't because Blizzard won't allow them to. Um, It's really interesting to see. Um, So hopefully this doesn't... this, This right now for sure is hurting their player base. It is hurting the community of Overwatch and all Blizzard entertainment in general. It is a PR nightmare, but I feel like if Blizzard has... Blizzard has to do something either amazing or right their wrongs by BlizzCon or else we're not going to pay attention to it at all. Another interesting thing that I saw that people are considering doing in support of uh, the Hong Kong protests is that they're, people are planning on wearing items of clothing that have Winnie the Pooh on them to BlizzCon. The reason is because uh, the Chinese, the leader of China, Xi Jinping, I think is how you pronounce his name. He's not a fan of Winnie the Pooh because a lot of people keep saying that he looks like Winnie the Pooh. So Winnie the Pooh is he's banned in China right now. And so in protest and to mock that leader, people are considering wearing Winnie the Pooh merchandise to BlizzCon. Um, I don't know if this is actually true, if, there was, if this was a Photoshopped image, but I saw a thing that said... BlizzCon is not going to allow anyone who's wearing anything Winnie the Pooh related into the venue. And that if you do, you'll be asked to either change your clothing or just be completely turned away. I think it's very interesting how this story, even as seemingly niche as it is to just the esports world and the Blizzard fan world, it got really blown up in the the mainstream media. I've seen a lot of uh, outlets like CNN and uh, the BBC actually having articles and talking about this. I feel like the Winnie the Pooh dress code is going to be very hard to enforce only because BlizzCon is always really close to Disneyland. Like you can't just be like, oh yeah, the, the one IP that happens to be very close to us is completely banned. You know that people are going to try to flood it with that. You, you really shouldn't censor something like that. You should just let it go. A big criticism of Blizzard in this area, like they, they are in a very difficult situation because Tencent is a Chinese company and they own Blizzard. But it you're telling the player base that you value money over your people. You value the money over that free speech. I don't know how long this is going to stay in the public consciousness, how long people are, have the willpower to continue this boycott. But I think it's definitely going to be hard for Blizzard to bounce back after this. I do agree with you that it's going to take a little bit of time for Blizzard to bounce back, especially from something like this. And especially since China is one of their biggest player bases, they are going to be missing out on on things like this. So I hope that Blizzard either puts out a statement really soon saying that, you know, either retracting the punishment that they put or if they are going to go straight up with it, they are going to lose part of their player base. And they either have to accept that's going to happen or completely shoot themselves in the foot. So World Cup is right around the corner, November 1st and 2nd, I believe. How badly do you think this is going to affect viewership on that? I feel like Overwatch will still be popular enough for that to happen. I mean, the Gauntlet had a solid turnout rate, um, which was... It's happening as we are recording right now. But I do think that Overwatch itself will be okay. I just think that when it comes down to BlizzCon, it may affect attendance. Um, just because of the way how they handled this, they really need some great PR in order to turn this around. But World Cup-wise, I still think Overwatch is still going to have its World Cup. Um, it might not have the same 
audience retention as it did the past couple of years because you are losing your your audience in China. So expect the numbers to drop, but still expect China to be coming out with guns blazing. Do you think it's more likely that Blizzard will hold fast with what they've what their current course is or that they'll try to do some damage control and reverse some if not all of what they've done? I think that they probably will do damage control. They they should do damage control. They've realized how that kind of stuff affects their player base as well. They need to turn it around before BlizzCon or else BlizzCon is actually going to probably drop in attendance and drop in viewership. And then if they do clean that up, then, you know, people can work towards what they want to what they want to see. Exactly. Like otherwise they're going to be losing people back to other alternatives of their game, so um like you could expect people who played Overwatch to possibly go back to Team Fortress or Apex Legends or like other properties. Um, like players will jump ship if they don't agree with something that the company is doing. You, you saw how bad the hit that EA took immediately once they started locking things behind paywalls. Um, you could expect the same thing to happen to the Chinese and probably world player base coming to Blizzard games if this keeps up. I think that if they don't do some sort of damage control before BlizzCon, I think that any news stories that come out of BlizzCon are going to be, a lot of the focus has going to be taken away from what they wanted it to be, which is the actual content. And it's probably going to think be more geared towards the people who are going to be out there protesting and making a scene. I think that's going to be a, a byproduct if Blizzard doesn't get this under control fairly quickly and fairly effectively. Essentially, the World Cup is like the Olympics of Overwatch, right? Right, So do you yeah. think players will be taking a stand on that grand stage when they have the chance? Oh, that's, a, that's tough. Yeah, the, 19, uh, the 1968 Olympics... With Tommy Smith and John Carlos, uh, when they ran and they held up the uh, they hold they held up their fist for the Black Power salute. Like, do you think things like that will will be able to happen? I, I took a lot of sports casting classes when I was at back in college. People think that sports exists in a bubble, um, where you know they just kind of do their own thing and you know they they're just for fun. It does reflect our current. Uh, climate like this is a platform as we saw with like Jackie as, Robinson yeah we had Jackie Robinson we have Tommy Smith and uh, John Carlos we have uh, Colin Kaepernick events like that really do affect the way how we see you know our history and history that unfolds you know in general in in the world um, like events like that do have an effect so we'll see if this becomes like one of the one of those statements where uh you know blizzcon 2019 was the official stand for china or something like that and we can see something like that happen i think it's largely dependent upon what the attitudes of the players are if they support china in this if they support hong kong in this i think if blizzard doesn't do something now that there might be a big show of it if blizzard keeps things as they are then if the chinese team is in support of hong kong i think there will be some sort of show if blizzard walks it back and the chinese team is in support of hong kong they might be something small um if they support china and blizzard walks it back i think that there might be a big show for pro china i, I think we'll probably see something but i think this is too big of a topic for the players who largely are probably experiencing some of this to ignore. I wouldn't be surprised. Like, let's say if like China does go all the way to top eight, what if they just don't show up? Do you think that that would be enough of a, enough of a statement? Like you're not only are you ruining the bracket, but there's like a, like a hard statement of saying like, you know, we, we are against things that Blizzard wants us to do. Like this is our personal, our personal thing. Short of blatantly throwing, I think that not showing up is, I think, the biggest statement that you could do. They either have to not show up or just completely stomp everybody and make a statement. Right. So I feel like either way, either one of those actions is still going to have a ripple on the way how Blizzard is viewed. They just need to clear the air. They, it's too tense, especially in 
the Chinese community for Blizzard not to do anything right now. Like right now is the worst time for Blizzard to go radio silent. Now, now if Blizzard does walk back what it did to Blitzchung, do you think that's going to result in penalties from, from Tencent to Blizzard? I feel like that will happen if Blizzard takes the hit from Tencent. At least they know that their audience and their player base will still be behind them. That is something that no amount of money can buy. Like no amount of money can buy you your player base. And that's something that you've gained their trust from. Like you've you've gained this audience because they love your games. You gained this audience because they respect the work that you do. And to just throw it away off of some something like, you know, business daddy, as John Oliver would say. Um, <laughs> like, I love John Oliver. Yeah, exactly. Like you need to you need to take a stand at some point and realize that your players are irreplaceable. If Tencent does take like legal repercussions on on Blizzard, I think Blizzard could stand on its own almost at this point. If if they do it without Tencent. Just because of the way how things are turning out right now, especially with Overwatch League and, you know, future games down the line, you know that if they can break away from this, they they would. Is there anything that Blizzard can do to keep both sides happy, do you think? I think that there is a way to make both sides happy. Uh, the first one would, do, would, first of all, like, roll back, just roll back Blitzchung's, like, ban. Like, I feel like, just saying that is enough and apologizing and saying like, you know what, we, we reacted too harshly. Like that that itself is just like a move that Blizzard made. It wasn't because, I, I don't think it was because Tencent said, oh, wait, we, we take offense to that. Um, I think that if they just rolled that single thing back, it wouldn't have caused all this. So that in itself would be an apology and it would be enough. Yeah, I think I, I agree that I think that's the the best way for Blizzard to do damage control on this because I mean at the end of the day Blitzchung did violate his contract he did break that rule so at the very least to take away the prize money I think the bands what got the most people the most upset about it yeah I think that's I think that's the best way to keep both sides happy like for the players and the people who are in support of Blitzchung it shows that you're remorseful and that you you learned your lesson and to China, it shows that okay, we we still value this partnership. We're we still want your business. You think Blitzchung will ever come back and play the game again after this? That's tough. That's a very tough question. Especially if he comes back, it would be more of a political statement. You know that he's not going to try to be radio silent at all. Um, if he does come back, which I feel like should be up to him, um, if he wants to. If he wants to do that, he should. He should, you know, let his voice be heard. But at the same time, I could see him totally being like, you know what? I don't want to deal with this anymore. I could take my, uh, I could take my talent to some other game. Still be a part of the uh, TCG community that way. Also, one thing that we have I didn't mention we haven't really talked about that much is uh, Blizzard also fired the casters who were interviewing Blitzchung at the time. That part shocked me because I. They didn't seem like they knew he was going to do that. I don't know what questions they asked him when he said that. I don't know if he hijacked the interview completely when he did that. But that's a that's something that's been kind of glossed over in all the coverage of this. I I feel kind of bad for those two casters. Yeah, I I need to see the full translated like clip of that. I don't think that the casters had anything to do with his response unless if they were asking him specifically like like if they asked like what do you want to say to viewers at home he's got no way of knowing what he's going to say if you're a caster you let the professional player take the mic at that point like you're it, it's out of your control um so to have them both be fired is kind of dumb in my opinion um and then to see brian kibler also leave like that's on his part as well um i think that was a brave move of him to say like you know what i support this cause more than i support this job so to have somebody do that you know that they have enough of a voice and enough of a stand to do that so to anybody who's listening just know that sports is not in a bubble it is not free from the world and there are things that are going to be happening in sports and now esports 
that do have an effect on our political climate. Yeah, like if you've seen the video, you see when you see there's a moment when they realize what Blitzchung's doing and they have nowhere to go, so they hide underneath the desk. It's it's a, both a really funny and a really sad moment because they know what's happening and they can't stop it. That was like a produced thing, right? Like the the stream itself was was produced properly. Yeah, it's a prof- it was a professionally produced uh, competition, as far as I'm aware. I think through Blizzard itself. Yeah. So if you knew, if you were the producer and you knew that that was going to happen, you could have cut that. If you wanted to get them out of hot water, you could have just cut the interview short. Yes, that is up to the producer to make that happen. It would have protected everybody's butt from everything. Like Blitzchung probably would have still been paid. He still wouldn't have been banned. Blizzard wouldn't be in hot water. All of that stuff. So if anything, yeah, I, I blame the producer. Not gonna not gonna lie here. <laughs> yeah, I do understand that you don't know what's gonna happen, especially if you're on a live broadcast. Sometimes you just have to make an executive call and do that. Like I know this because I professionally produce like city council uh things and whatnot. And there's like there could be moments where like, you know, a city council member like either says something that they don't want recorded or Something like that. Like you have to make sure that you know when to make the right cut and make the right move um, to not only save your job, but also save the jobs of the people who are who are watching and also playing. And if, if the producer had cut off when they knew it was happening, I think the worst that would have really happened as a news story is like, is them saying, oh, they cut him off. I think it would have stayed in the public consciousness for maybe a couple of days. You might've had a couple of, angry protests but nothing nearly to this degree i feel like the casters are just a victim of the situation um they don't deserve to lose their job over something that they have no control over um the producer should have just been a little bit more aware if he knew that something like this was going to happen and he made the cut everything probably would have been saved even if like you studio like imagine if he like cut the stream he's like cut the stream at this moment he could have blamed it on technical difficulties and still kept his job like there's so many what ifs you know that could have happened here but yeah i i feel like the casters are just a victim of the situation um blitz chung got what he wanted out and that's good on him but we'll see what blizzard decides to do in order to clean this up it, it just looks bad on everybody's part so do we have any other news i think we're i think we're at the end Hopefully next week we could come back to you with some Halloween news. I could give you some more update on the tournament. I have 36 kazoos sitting next to me and they're all probably going to be used during that tournament. So look forward to a lot of buzzing. I have a, I have one kazoo next to me actually right now from from the camp that I volunteer for. So what yeah. Color, the, what color are your kazoos? Ugh, I got they're they're rainbow. They start Ooh. with so red, white, yellow, green, blue, indigo. I think we have some purple and pinks in there too. But yeah, you're going to see how I use them in the game. It's going to be really interesting. I'm excited for this kazoo nonsense. All right. Well, uh, I think that's it for us. Thank you for tuning in this week. Next week, we tackle the Halloween event as well as any updates regarding BlizzCon. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Like what you hear? Please like, rate, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, and TuneIn. And follow us on all social media at Believe in OWL. That's B-L-E-A-V in O-W-L. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to send us an email at believeinowl at gmail.com. Interested in advertising with the show? Please contact our network at believe.com. Thanks for tuning in and see you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.